Amen. If you reach for your Bibles with me and turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, we'll be in Jonah chapter 1. On a side note, it's hard to believe that it's October. It doesn't seem possible. It seems like school is just out not too long ago, and here we are. Jonah chapter 1, we'll be reading all 17 verses this morning. And if you're in need of a Bible, please feel free to use the Pew Bible located in front of you. You can find a day's reading on page 920. Follow along as I read Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, Further evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Father, we come this morning, Lord. Father, we thank you for the beautiful weather, Lord. But more importantly, Lord, we thank you that we can be in this house to worship you. Be with us this morning. Speak to our hearts, no matter where we are in life. Lord, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Oh, it's good to praise the Lord. And the Lord is my salvation. That sums up our theme for our World Outreach Celebration this year. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that's the central truth of the book of Jonah. In fact, it's the very last thing Jonah prays in the belly of the fish in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation is from the Lord because salvation belongs to the Lord, because the Lord alone is able to save undeserving sinners like you and like me and the unreached that are all around this globe. Here at the end of October, as Pastor Bruce mentioned, our missionary guests will be here and our hearts need to be prepared. Amen? And the way to prepare it is by the Word and by the Spirit among his people. Like Jonah, we all have a simple choice every year, every day really, but as we look at our world outreach, 
The choice is, will we answer God's call to all people to reach all people? But you see, or will we choose to ignore it, to not prioritize it, or to allow the apathy and the lingering things of the pandemic just seep in with a, an apathetic attitude? You see, the reality is this. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. I think we can all identify with Jonah here in chapter 1. The Lord says, go, and Jonah says, no, okay? And I am Jonah. Every time I feel the nudge of his Holy Spirit to share Christ, and I simply ignore it or run in the opposite direction, I am Jonah. Every time I feel I need to invite a friend to church and I allow other things to distract me, say it with me, I am Jonah. Every time the Spirit of God leads me to show kindness to someone in need and I choose to delay doing it, I am Jonah. Every time I choose to cocoon in my house and remain a couch potato instead of reaching out to my neighbors, I am Jonah. Every time I fill my daily daily schedule with running errands for just me and those I love, say it with me, I am Jonah. Every time I isolate myself in a suburban fortress where I will not encounter anyone who doesn't look like me, think like me, talk like me, vote like me, smell like me, dress like me, I am Jonah. And it's not just Jonah, is it? It's all of us. Can we all say to our neighbor, I am Jonah this morning? Let's start with a question and get this out of the way, so to speak. What's eating Jonah? What's eating Jonah? The first thing that pops in your mind is what? A great fish. A great fish that swallows Jonah at the end of chapter 1 and vomits him out onto a beach at the end of chapter 2. Young people, this is a story for the ages. But if you read the whole book and you learn the lesson that God was trying to teach Jonah, the people of Israel, and ultimately every one of us here this morning, you'll answer that question, what's eating Jonah, in a much different fashion. The book of Jonah is all about what's eating Jonah, not because of chapter 2 he gets swallowed, but because Jonah, Jonah's problem was not on the outside. Jonah's problem was on the inside. You see, Jonah was being eaten all right. He was being eaten alive slowly, surely from the inside out. What is eating Jonah? It's a heart problem in relation to God's compassion for lost people. That's what's eating Jonah. Now, you might be thinking, what does all this have to do with me? I've already repented of my sins. I've received Christ as my Savior. I come to church regularly. I tithe off my gross and my income, and I even give on top of that to faith promise. I come to World Outreach Celebration every year, And I even help out with a community outreach, at least occasionally. What does Jonah have to do with me? And if Jonah were here this morning, he would say to you these words, I know, I know, all of that is good, except for one thing. None of it, none of it guarantees that you have a heart for lost people. For Jonah would say, I was all those things and more. And yet, I had a heart problem. My heart was being eaten alive with a lack of compassion for the unreached. You see, the missionary problem is always, always a heart problem. It is always a heart problem. The world, the flesh, the devil are always eating away at our hearts so that we don't obey the Great Commission with a heart of compassion. And that's as true for you in the pew as us behind the pulpit. There is a constant drift in our hearts 
away from the things that emblazon and embolden the heart of God. So what's eating you this morning on the inside? What's keeping you from being obedient to go with the gospel to the unreached? Whether you go, whether you sin, whether you pray, whether you give, whether you mobilize, whether you uh, welcome the immigrant and the refugee that are in our midst, what's keeping you silent instead of speaking up? What's keeping you within the walls of your home and not reaching out to your neighbors? What's keeping you from embracing people who are different from you? Listen, I'm asking God to once again afresh and anew work on my heart, but I'm praying that he will work on your heart and our heart as a church to do heart surgery, to find out what is it that's eating away at our hearts. Is my heart consumed with fulfilling the Great Commission? Or is my heart being eaten away by apathy, materialism, prejudice, or God forbid, even just plain hatred? Let's look at Jonah 1 this morning. Jonah was a prophet. Ooh, ooh. Well, if you knew Veggie Tales, you would know that. That's a little blast from the past. Committed. He was committed to following God. He was committed to serving God. Jonah was a man of God. Jonah was active in the ministry for God. Jonah was just like many of you here sitting this morning. But he had a heart problem. Something was eating away at his heart. And in Jonah chapter 1, we see that Jonah has a heart that's running from the Great Commission. He is running from the Great Commission. Look again at verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. To borrow a title from what I think is one of the greatest missionary books of all time, Andrew Murray's The Key to the Missionary Problem, What's eating Jonah in chapter 1? He has a heart that is running, running from the Great Commission. Is my heart this morning, is my heart running from God's Great Commission? So here's what I want to do. We're going to look at what are we running from, why are we running, and what happens when we do run. What are the consequences of running? So let's look. Running like Jonah from the Great Commission. The first thing I want you to see is that like Jonah, we often run from obeying the Great Commission. Hey, this stuff isn't rocket science. It's simple. It's direct. He's disobeying. Like Jonah, we run from the responsibility to represent God to the laws. Three times in this chapter, three times it says he ran from the presence of the Lord. And the idea here is not so much physical running, though he physically runs a long way away. But presence of the Lord is often used in the sense as someone's official representative who stood in the presence of one with greater authority, standing as a servant. Here is your servant. Speak. Your servant listens and I will be quick to hear and quick to obey whatever you say. David, for example, stood in the presence of King Saul as his willing servant. Joseph stood in the presence of Pharaoh as his faithful representative. You see, this isn't about God's physical presence. This refers to Jonah's purpose in life. His calling as a servant of the Lord who was supposed to represent God to people and people to God. You see, God commissioned Jonah to go. 
He commissioned Jonah to go and reach the people of Nineveh. And when God called Isaiah, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. When God called Moses, Moses said, Here am I, send someone else, my brother Aaron. But Jonah, when he's called, he says, I'm out of here. (laughs) He's just gone. He's out. He's gone. Who was Jonah? Jonah was a Hebrew prophet from northern Israel. And who were the Ninevites? Well, they were the sworn, brutal, cruel enemies of northern Israel. In fact, they will eventually conquer northern Israel, take the ten tribes into exile, from which they have never yet returned until the second coming of Christ. The Ninevites, they, they, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria was the oldest and greatest of enemies. Assyrians were extremely cruel to their enemies. And they were proud of it. And they wanted you to know about it. In fact, you can go to the British Museum today and you can there see monuments made by the Ninevites. And here's what you will see on those monuments. Them pulling out the tongues of their enemies by their roots. You'll see them skinning them alive and then using it as wallpaper. You will see them in every city they conquered. They built a pyramid of human skulls. You know, you think Spielberg made this stuff up, right? No, this is real history, and this is who the Assyrians and their capital city of Nineveh was like. And one day, one day, God will punish them for it. And you can see it in the minor prophet Nahum, which comes right after Jonah. And you can see that God predicts his final wrath upon that nation. But when was Jonah? Jonah is written in the 8th century B.C. when Jeroboam II, not a good name, because Jeroboam is Jerkaboam in the Bible. So this is Jerkaboam II, an ungodly king. He is underneath this king, and it's 612 B.C. And it would not be for another hundred years until God's final wrath will fall in history upon the Ninevites. But the Lord God of Israel is a God not only of judgment, He's a God of compassion. He's a God of great mercy, of great compassion. And so before that predicted judgment of Nahum happens, He sends His prophet Jonah with a message of compassion and repentance. You see, He has a heart of compassion for all peoples, even the hateful and the hated even the most cruel and the most inhumane. God of Israel, the God that we have sung, is mighty to save because he has great compassion. So put yourself in Jonah's sandals this morning. This is like God commissioning a Jewish person from New York City to go to Berlin during World War II to preach God's love to Hitler. This is like God commissioning a red-blooded American from the Midwest to go to Afghanistan after 9-11 to preach God's love to the Taliban and Obama, Osama, sorry, sorry, that Osama bin Laden. I knew I was going to mess that up. But it would work for either one because God has mercy on all of us, right? Red and blue. And the message was this, repent and God will forgive you and not destroy you in judgment. It was a message of hope, of compassion, of mercy. The ruins of Nineveh can still be seen today across, from the, across the river from the city of Mosul in modern day Iraq. But God is doing things like that right now in our midst. God is calling the call to go and to share the gospel and to reach the unreached in the hardest and most hateful and most difficult places. Jonah is not the only one with such a commission. So I want you to see this morning, God has commissioned 
every believer to go reach the unreached. He has commissioned every believer this morning. We're not talking about whether I'm a missionary or a pastor. Oh, let me be clear though. God is calling out missionaries. God is calling out pastors. His people just aren't being obedient. But God has commissioned every single one of us who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. You know these passages, but that's the danger. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, as you sit on the couch, as you hide in your suburban homes, as you laissez-faire go about your busyness and the things of the world. No, no, none of that. I am with you to the end of the age as you go on mission as a church, as a family, as an individual to reach the unreached. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Who are we to reach? Every people group. Every people. Ta ethne is not nations like borders on a map. It's a people group. People who need a language, who have a language and need the Bible in that language. People who are unique and different, and you've got to learn to build bridges of love and understanding. And where are they? They're at the ends of the earth, folks. They're at the uttermost. And but for the grace of God, you and me could have been born at the ends of the earth. Are you with me? But for the grace of God, I could have been born on the banks of the Amazon. But for the grace of God, I could have been born in the 1040 window, a place of darkness and light. People, when you meet them and you say, let me introduce you to Jesus. And they say, what's a Jesus? Because they don't even know it's a person. And how are we to do it? We are to make disciples. And missions is real simple. It's planning local churches by evangelism. It's establishing local churches by discipleship. And it is multiplying local churches by missions. That's everything in a nutshell that God has commissioned you to do. You say, Chris, how can I do that alone? You can't. That's why there's a local church. That's why there's our church. That's why there's a world outreach celebration. So you can win and learn and see and partner with people who are reaching the world. You can send them. You can pray for them. You can give. You can go, though, also. Now, we'll talk more about how to do it when we get to Jonah 3. For now, you just want to ask, do I have a heart? that's running from what God has commissioned me to be and to do to reach the lost. Running from responsibility is one thing. It, it can feel safe. It can feel like I'm getting away with something, but there's accountability from God, and that's the second thing I want you to see. There's accountability. Like Jonah, we often run from accountability to obey God and fulfill His commission. Now, what happens when we run? Let's look at this. Here's what happened to Jonah, and it's what happens to you and I. We run in the opposite direction of obedience. Run in the Literally, Jonah ran in the opposite direction. Instead of traveling 500 miles northeast to Nineveh, he, fa he traveled 2,000 miles southwest to Tarshish. I mean, just the opposite direction. And by the way, disobedience always is more difficult and more costly than obedience. The farthest, and you know where Tarsh, Tarshish is? It's Acts 1.8. It's the ends of the earth. It was the ends of the earth of that day. It is in southwest Spain. Isn't it interesting that Paul, the greatest missionary the church has ever known, wanted to go to Spain with the gospel, the very opposite of Jonah. Now, 
going, what he does here is like God commissioning a Jewish person from New York City to go to Berlin during World War II to preach God's love to Hitler, and the Jewish person gets on the plane, bound for Las, Ve Los Angeles, and then flies to Hong Kong. He just goes in the opposite direction. Not only do we run in the opposite direction, we run down into greater disobedience. Listen, when we start the process of disobeying God, of rejecting His Holy Spirit convictions, when we cease to listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, we start a downward spiral that will take you farther than you want to go, it will leave you there longer than you want to be there, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. He, listen, look at this chapter. It's amazing. He ran down to Joppa. He ran down to the bottom of the ship, down into the lowest parts of the ship, and then he laid down to sleep away his guilt. Then God took him down in the belly of the fish, and then that fish took him down, down, down into the depths of the sea. Listen, when we run from God, the first steps downhill are easy. But repenting and going back uphill is hard and only happens because salvation belongs to the Lord. Listen, just because there's open doors doesn't mean it's God's will for you to step through a door when He has already led you in the Word of God, and already told you what you are to do. You see, he could have said, well, Lord, it's God's will. There's a ship, and I have money for the fare, and it's going, so I must walk through that door. No, no, no. God had clearly spoken, and he has spoken to us in his Word. And we fit when we fitter away our lives, I don't even know if that's a word, but when we, uh, whatever, waste our lives on doing what we want, with the resources that God has given, the time, the energy, the lives that God has given, we are in disobedience when we do it, expending it on self. And that's the third thing I want you to see. We run in rebellion against God. Running, let's call it what it is. Running is rebellion. Because here's the thing. Until we call sin, sin, we will not repent from it. Until we call sin what it is, until we see running as rebelling, we will not repent. So here's the question this morning. What has God called you to do to reach this world for Christ? What has he commissioned you to become to solve the missionary problem? The missionary problem is not enough laborers. Jesus said the field are white unto harvest, but there are not laborers. The missionary problem is a heart problem. The Lord of the harvest is sending, calling, commissioning. He is going. Are we going with him? But why would Jonah run? He was a man of God. He was a prophet of Yahweh. Why do we run from fulfilling the Great Commission when we are Christians called and at work here in our church. Well, the second thing I want you to see is this. Like Jonah, we run because we lack great compassion. And this gets to the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is always the heart. Great compassion is the key to the book of Jonah. Why do we lack great compassion? I think we can see from Jonah's story surrounding and just looking into our own hearts, we lack compassion because, number one, we love ourselves more than we love God and people. Just, you know, look to your neighbor and say, that's true. It's true. It's true of you. It's true of me. We love ourselves more than we love God and people. Jonah cared about no one but himself, and he didn't even care for himself very well, okay, when you read this story. The pagan sailors, listen to this. 
The pagan sailors had more compassion on Jonah's life than he had on the life of these lost men. God's heart is not like that. His heart flows with compassion for others. It's so familiar. But do we think about it? John 3.16 For God so loved the world. And some of you have even gotten saved by someone placing your name for world. And that's good. And that's real when we're leading people to Christ. But let's not erase the world because it isn't just me. It's not just my salvation. It's not just my family's salvation. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, love for God and love for others is the heartbeat, the heartbeat of missions. But how do we know? How do we know? The heart is deceitfully wicked. How do I know if I love myself more than I love God and others? Well, here's one way to say. Number two, we fear people more than we fear God. We fear people more than we fear God. Jonah may have ran. This may have led into his running because he feared what the Ninevites would do to him. Okay, the Lord, you know, Chris, I want you to go to the Ninevites. They might pull out your tongue. They might skin you alive. They might cut off your head and add it to the skull mountain they're building. That's wild when you think about it. When missionary John Patton expressed his desire to run toward greater involvement in missions by going to the island people located between Australia and Hawaii, a highly respected man by the name of Dixon exploded with these words at his announcement. The cannibals! You will be eaten by cannibals! And he wasn't making that up. Nineteen years earlier, a missionary had been eaten by cannibals in those very islands. But listen, listen to how Patton responds. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if... I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. It will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior. Amen. Do you hear what these two men are saying to one another? Mr. Dixon, a well-meaning, sincere Christian gentleman is saying to this young man, don't waste your life. Don't answer God's call. You'll be eaten by cannibals. And young Patton is responding, it doesn't matter how we die. We will all be eaten in, the, in, in, whether it's worms or cannibals. All that matters is how we live. Don't waste your life not obeying the Great Commission. What matters is how we live. Patton is saying, I won't waste my life by playing it safe. I will risk it all to answer the call, to reach the unreached. Even man-eating cannibals need the gospel. Amen. Jonah may have feared also what other Israelites would have thought to him. Now, this happens so much more than what you think. Well-meaning pastors even can discourage God's people and young people from going cross-culturally. Family members who have given and served and loved the Lord Jesus for years on end can discourage their own children from following the Lord and especially to go such, to such undeserving people as our enemies, the Ninevites. You're a traitor. You're a fool. What a waste. You see, there's a lot of fear in this chapter. A lot of fear. The unsaved sailors fear the storm. The unsaved sailors fear for their lives. 
But it's not until they feared God more than anything that they ever repented and cried out to God. You see, you got to fear God more than you do anything. And when you do that, you'll repent and become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll not just become a believer, you will become a doer of the Great Commission. For you see God in His greatness and His grace. Listen, beloved, don't let fear stop you from finding your fulfillment in obeying the Great Commission with great compassion. But there's a third sign of a heart on the run, and it's this one. We love people less than God loves them. We love people less than God loves them. You see, this is the ultimate reason Jonah runs. Those others are possibility and they're realities in our lives, but at the sin beneath the sin of not obeying the Great Commission is always that we love people less than God loves them. Look forward to the end of the story. I'm giving it away, but I think you know it. Jonah 4, uh, verses 2 through 3. In Jonah 4, verses 2 through 3, here's the real reason he ran. Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is what I said before I ran. Therefore, in order to forestall this, in order to prevent your salvation going forth, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity and judgment. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Jonah would rather die than to see his worst enemies come to Christ. John Patton would rather die giving the gospel to his worst enemies. You see, we pursue what we love, don't we? You know, I got a whole, I got a whole drawer of chief shirts, right? We invest, we pursue. I, I've got my evening. I'm going to hang out with my group. I'm going to make sure we get done on time because we got a game to win. Because we pursue that which we are passionate about. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your love is, is where your heart will run to. Listen, God loves people, and aren't you glad he runs to people? Because he ran to you, and he ran to me. He ran to Adam and Eve in the garden in their rebellion. He, the father, runs to the prodigal son as he repents and returns to the father. He loves us, and the proof is that he sent his only begotten son to become one of us, to be born like we were born, to grow and live like we grew and lived, to cry, to hunger, to thirst like us. He was like us in every way except one. He never sinned, for he was truly the eternal Son of God, and he was truly a human being. He was tempted in every way like us, but he loved God so much, and he was God that he did not sin. So he died as a sinless substitute on the cross, to pay for our sins, to take the judgment that you and I deserve, that the world deserves. He took it upon himself, and then he rose again, showing that God has accepted that perfect sacrifice. And he reigns on high with all authority in heaven and on earth, and that authority he has commissioned you and I to go. God runs to people. Do you? Do I? Do we? But what happens when we refuse to have a heart of compassion? What happens to a heart on the run? There are consequences. We run, but there's nowhere to hide from our great God. We run, but there's nowhere to hide from our great God. You see, number one, we can't hide from the compassion of the Lord. And you turn to your neighbor and you say, thank God. 
We can't hide from his compassion. Listen to Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? I ascend into heaven, you're already there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. And next week, Jonah's going to be glad that's true. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me. Maybe darkness has descended into your life this week. Maybe some dark news has come upon you. Maybe you are in the darkest and deepest rut, which sometimes feels like a grave with both ends kicked out. In the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You see, wherever you run, the hounds of heaven can and will find you. You cannot run from God's purpose for your life and ever find personal fulfillment. You can be distracted. You can have pleasure for a moment. You can get the accolades of this world. You can achieve the American dream, which is getting harder and harder and harder every day. And you can do it all, and you'll lack fulfillment as a disciple of Jesus Christ. There will always be an aching and a wondering and a questioning of why isn't this fulfilling? Why isn't this satisfying? Listen, we will not have the peace and the purpose that God has purchased for us through his son until we surrender and obey his purpose for our lives. Here's the second thing we can't hide from. We can't hide from the cries of the lost. We can't hide from the cries of the lost. When we run from God, God always has a way of revealing who we really are to those around us. I, listen, in a group this way and online, there, there, many of us have run from God. And isn't it interesting? You try to not tell people who you are. You try to not talk about your Christian upbringing, and it just comes out. It just comes out. This guy's running from lost people, and he's surrounded by lost people. And what are they doing? They're interviewing him. Where did you come from? What is your occupation? Why are you here? What's going on in your life? And every question is a conviction from God through these lost people because you can't hide from it if you are truly born again. When we run from God, we don't rebel in a vacuum even though we embrace that illusion. We think, it's my life, what's it matter? I'm not harming anyone. But listen, you, you, it, your running is impacting your, your, your family. It's impacting our church. It's impacting your marriage. It's impacting every facet of your life. And you are taking people down with you. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. There will always be consequences, and that's the focus of Jonah 1. Finally, we can't hide from the consequences of running. We can't hide from the consequences of running. Listen, when we try to run from our commission to reach the world, we will only run into the discipline of our sovereign and compassionate God. Listen. There's only one, when you run as far and as long as you want. And if you are a believer, you will run right into a compassionate God who is calling you back to himself. We will reap what we sow, and what we will reap is God's discipline. Did you see verse 3 in this chapter? Jonah paid the fare. You will always pay for your disobedience. I will always pay for my disobedience. But do you see what happened? He paid the fare, and he never got to where he was going. He never got to where he was going. You always pay if you run from God's will for your life. You see, Jonah forgot, I can run, but I can't hide from God's commission and my responsibility. 
Jonah reaped what he sowed in a way that only a great God could do it. Only our sovereign great God could cause a great wind that causes a great storm that causes Jonah to eventually fall into the belly of a great fish. That's how great our God is. We just sang this morning, He is mighty to save. He can move mountains. You know what he's doing in chapter 1? He's moving heaven and earth in order to get a rebel prophet to go with the gospel to the unreached. Jonah sowed rebellion. And you know what he reaped? He's rebelling against going to Nineveh. You know what Nineveh means? Nineveh means house of the fish. So he rebels from going to the house of the fish, and where does he end up being housed? In a fish! In a fish! Listen, God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. And then the lost are left to reap what they sow. And that's the saddest of all. God's wrath. Listen, God has no plan B for saving the unreached. There is only one way, Paul says in Romans 10. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how will the preacher go unless he is sent? They must hear the gospel, lest they reap God's wrath. And listen, I wish we had time, but you look in this book, look this week at what the sailors do. When people get in trouble, and when people try to earn their way to heaven, they do what these sailors do. They get religious. Every man prayed to his God. You try to clean up their act. They're throwing everything overboard to lighten the load. They seek to blame others. Let's cast lot. Who caused this mess we're in? And then they work harder to earn their salvation. They rode and they rode and they rode, but they couldn't outrow God's wrath. All over the world, day and night, people are doing these same four things. In the dark, without the gospel, without a church, without the knowledge of who Jesus is, and their best efforts will never earn them salvation. And yet God has graciously revealed himself in this chapter, and he says, salvation belongs to me. Salvation is according to the scriptures. The sailors finally said, what should we do? Salvation requires a substitute. Noah, uh, Noah, Jonah says, throw me over. Salvation needs a sacrifice. The sailors throw him and they say, don't hold this innocent blood to our account. And salvation comes through a son. Jonah was in that belly, according to verse 17, three days and three nights. And the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to this earth and said, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. He says in Matthew 12, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And because salvation belongs to the Lord, he was risen and he reigns and he wants that message. Salvation belongs to the Lord to be proclaimed to the nations. You see, God's compassion is so great, he was willing to use a rebellious running prophet as a missionary to these unsaved people. Listen, the miracle in this book, in this chapter, is not the great fish. It's the hard heart of God's prophet. And it's the great compassion of a great God who doesn't give up on his disobedient disciple, and he doesn't give up and let our disobedience prevent the unreached from hearing the good news. And that is our great God with his great compassion. So the message couldn't even be clearer this morning. Where is your heart? Is your heart running from the Great Commission? Let God turn it back to him before it's too late. With your heads bowed, I want you to think with your heads bowed, and I want to challenge you, stop running this morning. Let the hounds of heaven catch you because they will take you 
to a merciful God. I'm not talking about running from being a pastor or missionary, or maybe, maybe you're running from that, as much as just running from the presence of the Lord, of just standing in the Lord's presence right now and saying, Lord, I stand, speak, for your servant listens. And maybe this morning, start confessing. Confess, I haven't accepted Christ. I've been trying to earn my way. I repent and I accept the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation belongs to you, Lord. Give it to me this morning. Give it to me because I don't deserve it. I can't earn it and you're my only hope. Maybe confess your refusal to do your part to reach the world and cry out to the Lord as these ladies sang this morning. Cry out this morning. The Lord is my salvation. And then run, run, run to this great God and let him fill our hearts with great compassion. Father in heaven, we come before you. Do what only you can. Save anyone here. Anyone within hearing. Save because salvation belongs to you. Lord, cleanse us of our disobedience, of our apathy, of our distractedness, of our busyness. Lord, cleanse us of our pride. And Lord, I pray, may we surrender afresh and anew to go, to give, to pray, to sin, to mobilize, to welcome, whatever it is, and to do it as partners and as brothers and sisters in this church. Father, we pray it, seal it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, let us stand and let us praise our great God, and let us show his grace to people this week. Great is our God.